Pop Culture Affidavit, Episode 81, Nothing Better. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that covers everything random in the world of popular culture, which is part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and this time around I'm taking a look at one of my favorite independent comics of the last decade or so, which is called Nothing Better and is written and drawn and published by Tyler Page. But I'm not alone on this particular journey this time around. Joining me for this is someone who by now both of my listeners are familiar with because she's been on this show a bunch of times before. Please welcome the host of Batgirl the Oracle and my required reading co-host, Stella. Hello, how are you? I'm well. I can't figure out if I'm being forced on here now because it's. I feel like I have to be on here or, you know, I enjoy being on here. The jury's still out, but I have been on here <laughs> once or twice before. I'd have to, um, I would have to go back through all 81 episodes and see which person um, has been on the show as a guest the most. It's either you or Mike. Oh wow, that's wonderful company to be in. Yeah, because Mike and Mike has been on the show a number of times. It doesn't feel like it's been. It actually hasn't been that long because you and I recorded something else last week. So. We sure did. And, and then I'm going to be on your show in January. January, I, right? I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's not been a while. I guess it's been a while for the listeners. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's always fun to come on here and talk because you have the freedom, like I do, for, for Becker Oracle, to a certain extent, to do some random things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so this is like another another uh, random show, basically. Yeah, yeah, and we're not bound to a particular gimmick or format or anything, although we are, for, for the purpose of this, um, we've adapted our required reading episode format slightly, uh, where... What I did was I put together. We're gonna, I'm gonna talk about the background of the book and um, our our personal backgrounds on it a little bit, and I'm gonna do a synopsis, and then we're gonna do a discussion where we had some discussion questions and that sort of stuff, which is what we always do for the required reading show. So, right, yeah, um, 
But that seemed to work when we did the Judas contract. Oh, yes. Judas contract. Yes. So, yeah. So we're going to talk about uh, nothing better. Um, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on Tyler Page as well as the book itself and my personal history with the comic because I was the one who suggested the title. And I think I loaned you the... PDFs of the of, of the digital you did. Yep. copies, um, and then we're going to get into the what the what the story is about. So, uh, Tyler Page is, and I'm going to read his biography, which, which is on the back of uh, book three, the the third paper, trade paperback that I have. Tyler Page is an artist and educator based in Minneapolis. He is married to author illustrator Corey Dorfeld. And they have two children together. Tyler has published nine of his own books in addition to comics and illustration work for a wide variety of clients. He was not, he was a winner of the prestigious Ziri? X-E-R-I-E. Uh, grant to publish the first volume of Nothing Better and he was nominated for an Eisner once upon a time. Nothing Better uh, is primarily a webcomic, although there are three print editions, and the first one uh, was published through a grant, as I mentioned. The third volume, which is the most recent and came out, I think, earlier this spring, was published uh, through fundraising via Kickstarter, which is how I got it. And my copy of 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 the third uh, volume has a cool drawing of one of the main characters, uh, Jane or Fish. Uh, because I paid a little bit of extra to get that in the, in the Kickstarter. I also have the first two volumes, both of which I bought directly off of Tyler Page's site, uh, which is nothing-better.com. And I was happy to see uh, they were actually were signed when I bought them in uh, 2014, so I didn't expect that. But my personal history with the comic actually goes back all the way to 2005, uh, when there were at least two individual issues of the comic published. And I spotted the first issue in previews uh, one month um, because I'm one of those people who not only checks out the DC Marvel uh, and image solicits in previews or and Dark Horse, etc., but I actually will flip through the entire catalog. And amongst all of the uh, various movie tie-ins, um, weird-looking anime and comics that are <laughs> basically porn, um, is some Wait, really... Wait, they put that in there? They put stuff in there that's like very close or they solicit it and it says see adult previews because there's an adult previews and it's like really like this is going into the depths of like we're we're like kind of like i don't know it's I had no it's idea. Nothing, yeah, it's nothing that I ever really, you know. Anyway, among all that, there are some some really good independent comics that always look slightly interesting to me, or something. And every once in a while, I will give them a try. And I, I saw the solicitation for this back in 2005. It was one issue. I had been really into a comic that I did covered back in episode 49 of this show called "The Waiting Place" by Sean McKeever and uh, Mike Norton, um, and. Uh, it seemed very similar in vain. It's about um, the first semester away at college, and I was like, "Oh, this looks like right up my alley." I love, I love this sort of stuff. So I, I, I got it, and I, I enjoyed it, but I never really saw it in previews again. And the comic itself sat in a long box for years, uh, and then I came across it one day while I was probably just filing comics away or whatever, you know. Um, and so it's like, I As wonder what one it, does. Yeah, and so I. I <laughs> was like, well, I wonder what ever happened to this. Did they ever make any more? You know, So I Googled it, and I found out that uh, Tyler Page had continued the story online. So 
Furthermore, I also found that there were both print and PDF versions of uh, the book available. So being pretty poor at the time, I took advantage of the fact that the PDFs at the time were free of uh, books one and two. And then later I found a copy of issue number two of Nothing Better in a 50 cent bin at my current local comics shop, which was just random. And I didn't need it by any chance, stretch the imagination, but I was like, I've never seen this before. It's 50 cents. I'll pick it up. Um, and I had already col- had the collected volumes at that point because I, you know, I, I had bought them. So um, according to mycomicshop.com, there are 10 issues. According to milehighcomics.com, there were only two. So I'm not sure if any were published beyond the two that I own. Anyway, like I said, the story's been published pretty regularly online, and then there were print editions that have been released out over the years, although sometimes there would be a lag in publishing because Page has other books he has written and drawn. Uh, he did a, he did a, a bio, an autobiography slash, it's like scientific-based one that I have not read. It's called Raised on Ritalin. It's about a, having ADHD. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I have not read it, but I know that was one of his, uh, a project that took him a while. And plus, he has a life and a day job, I believe, outside of just creating comics. So that very often, as you and I both know, life does get in the way of creative pursuits. Um, I think there are pages beyond what you and I read in um, in the trades that are available online. I haven't had the chance to go check out. And for the sake of this podcast, you and I are just going to be talking about um, volumes one, two, and three, which have been collected in, in trade paperbacks. And what I usually would do if we were on required reading would ask what your history with this comic book is. But in this case, I know your history because you'd never heard of it, and I asked you to read them to come on the show. Yes. Because <laughs> I recommended them. So I guess without revealing too much about whether or not you liked it, because we'll save that after my synopsis, um, what were your impressions going in? Yeah, so I had... I guess you sent it to me. I think we planned this. Let me start the sentence in a third different way. I believe that we planned this last spring, but we both, as teachers, I think we just got in over yeah. our heads because springs are usually some of the like craziest times of the year. I mean, May is one of my worst months, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. So I, I remember there being a plan and me like looking because I got the PDF that you sent me and I think maybe I flipped through just to see what the art style was and I thought, okay, uh, because prior to this, you had just lent me Rachel Rising. So yes. I was sort of used to the black and white, so I wanted to, to see Moore, what, yeah. what this was in particular. And But I actually did not get to pick it up and actually start read it until August. And by that time, I think the third one had come in, so then I could read them all together. And they went by really quickly. I... What were my impressions? It was interesting. I wasn't quite sure what it was going to be about. And I thought maybe, you know, maybe this is going to be like Dawson's Creek, you know, how these kids are going around in college and and what their day to day is going to be. But I wasn't sure for, you know, from the first issue, I thought, how is this really going to be able to make it to three, three arcs potentially with just these two characters? But the answer is yes. So it's very much, I think, a down to earth look at, you know, just potentially two people's different lives or distinct lives as they go into college. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very much, um, all three trades, the moment still take place in freshman year and freshman <laughs> year is such a, 
weird, weird time in your life if you're away at college and you're away for the first time, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, um, and then there was a lot of, um, which we'll get into, a lot of different issues concerning what happens to the characters and belief systems and things like that, which I thought would be good for discussion between the two of us. So... I'm going to go ahead and give my synopsis, which is a bit lengthy, so you can sit back and just relax a little bit. Play solitaire. Yes, play solitaire or, or whoever, and uh, and then I will uh, then I will sit back and I'll ask you, you know, what you thought. So, <coughs> excuse me. Okay, nothing better is set at Saint. Urho College in the Minneapolis area, which is a small Lutheran college that is entirely fictional, but is more than likely based on a number of religious-affiliated colleges. St. Urho, it must be noted, is not royal either. Here is an excerpt from his Wikipedia page. The legend of St. Urho was the invention of a Finnish-American named Richard Matson, who worked at a Catola's department store in Virginia, Minnesota in the spring of 1956. Matson later recounted that he invented St. Urho when he was questioned by a co-worker, G. McCavick, about the Finns' lack of a saint like the Irish St. Patrick, whose feat of casting the snakes out of Ireland is remembered on St. Patrick's Day. In fact, the patron saint of Finland is Henry, Bishop of Finland. According to the original Ode to St. Urho, written by Gene McCavick and Richard Matson, St. Urho was supposed to have cast Tos Rogs, or those frogs, out of Finland by the power of his loud voice, which he obtained by drinking Philia Sour, or Sour Whole Milk, and eating Kala Moaka, Morjaka, fish soup. The selection of the name Urho as the saint's name probably was probably influenced by the accession of Urho Kekonen to the presidency of Finland in 1956. Urho in the Finnish language it also has the meaning of hero or simply brave. The original St. Urho identified St. Urho's Day as taking place on May 24th. Later, the date was changed to March 16th, the day before St. Patrick's Day, so the Finns could start drinking green beer a day before the Irish. As you do. St. Urho's feast is supposed to be celebrated by wearing the colors royal purple and Nile green. Other details of the invented legend also changed, apparently under the influence of Dr. Sulo, and I'm going to butcher some of these Finnish names, Havamaki or Meki, a psychology professor at uh, at Bemidji State College in Bemidji, Minnesota. The legend now states that St. Urho drove away grasshoppers rather than frogs, uh, which there's a slight reference in one of the books to this. I noticed that there's like a background that there's one scene and I don't remember which book it is where like two of the characters are outside in the background. Somebody finds a grasshopper <laughs> um, in Finland using the incantation. Oh man, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to try to read finish. The English translation is grasshopper grows grasshopper go from hence to hell. Thus saving the Finnish grape crops. Another version of the modern celebration of St. Urho's Day is that it was created by Kenneth Brist of Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Brist, a high school teacher, was teaching in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in the early mid-50s in an area largely populated by people of Finnish heritage. He and his Finns concocted March 16th at St. Urho's Day, so they had two days to celebrate the next day, being, of course, St. Patrick's Day. And... It should be noted here that in the inside cover of all of the collected editions of Nothing Better has a St. Urho College crest, which features a grasshopper with a crown and two swords inside a shield, and St. Urho College and Oi 
Mame. Oh my God. Um, Sumi. If you did this to yourself, yes, you did, did this, this to yourself. Sydney, Sin, I'll put the crest in the show notes, which are not words in Latin. They are Finnish, and they comprise the first lines of a Finnish national anthem: "Our land, Finland, land of our birth." I maybe mean, it I'll, sounded it's, like you are having a stroke. I uh, yeah, maybe maybe I'll put the Finnish national anthem in here or something. I don't know. Okay. Nothing better is a coming of age college drama about two girls, primarily. One is Jane Fisher, a blonde, pretty conservative girl from the suburbs who has arrived for her freshman year at St. Erho. The other is her roommate, Catherine Connor, or Cat. Cat is a free spirit and pretty wild. In fact, she's so much the opposite of the very religious Jane that she is a self-professed atheist. Volume 1 is called No Place Like Home, and it takes place over the course of the first two months of both girls' freshman year. We open an orientation week, and over the course of Jane's first few days of college, she meets Darby, an animation-loving geek who gets a huge crush on her, and Kat takes Jane to a party where they meet Mike and Josie. Two guys will be important friends for both of them. Kat also proceeds to get Jane, whom she has named Fish, because Jane Fisher, Fish, blackout drunk, so much so that both girls show up late for class registration the next day, and Jane gets so upset she refuses to speak to her roommate. The first semester's academics include Kat's taking both art and bio, and both girls taking a Bible class taught by one of the most over-enthusiastic religious professors ever. Despite their rather disastrous beginning, the two girls spend time together and spend time with Mike and Josie, forming a core four for our story. We briefly meet Jean, who is the leader of one of the campus Christian organizations and proves to be most one of the most sanctimonious of guys. Jane joins Jean for a prayer group while Kat gets a job in the meat room at the cafeteria. We also meet the girls on Jane's floor, Beth, Sarah, Wendy, and Kaylee. Wendy is the center of a subplot involving bullying by her roommate Trish, who makes her life hell throughout the year. So basically, like, Trish is the mean girl and Wendy's the fat girl. Sometime, something which culminates in book two, with Trish posting Wendy's prom picture all over the dorm, uh, and because Jane accidentally found it, and then Trish swiped it and made copies. So, most of book one is these characters getting to know one another, especially Kat and Jane, who seem to be growing closer but will argue over religion and Kat's overt sexual behavior. Darby leaves flowers in Jane's mailbox because he's too shy to tell her he has a crush on her, and Jane walks in, walks around wearing a WWJD t-shirt, all the while mansplaining a counterpoint to Kat's view on life. Jane does make a move on Jane at one point, too. Uh, we also meet Felix, Josie's roommate who is gay, as well as Molly, who works at the campus coffee shop that Jane also gets a job at. At first, Jane gravitates toward the nerdier girls in the hall while Kat hangs out with the guys, and the religious differences between the two girls seem to drive quite a bit of the story. By the end of book one, Kat has noticed that Darby has a crush on Jane and deduces that he left the flowers for her, so she keeps it she keeps doing it so she can keep it the ruse. Jane has a meet cute with a guy whom we'll learn is named Ryan. Josie has to think for Kat, but gets friend-zoned, while Kat kind of sort of pursues some guys she hooked up with. And the book ends with the two girls having an argument about their respective beliefs, or lack thereof, in God, followed by a trip home for both of them that is less than stellar, what with Kat's parents fighting all the time and Jane's ex-boyfriend wanting to get back together. Volume 2 is entitled Into the Wild, and covers the rest of the fall semester, beginning with Halloween and ending right as Kat and Jane go on winter break. 
Right off the bat, Kat is having trouble as her grades in her biology class aren't where she knows they should be. Plus, she runs across the guy she'd slept with early in the semester and he blows her off. So she more or less decides she's going to make a move on Josie at the Halloween party that they're going to. And she well dresses up like a cat because she's cat. Anyway. They head to the party, but not before witnessing Trish playing a mean prank on Wendy, and arrive only to see Josie kissing Molly. Kat gets back at Trish for what she did by messing with her stuff, including switching out some birth control pills with Tic Tacs. After having another meet-cute with Ryan, Jane heads with him back to the party, and Kat winds up getting blackout drunk and has a wicked hangover the next morning, as you do. Jane and Ryan get hot and heavy as the semester goes on. Kat continues to struggle with her bio class as well as getting her head wrapped around the content in her religion class, which is the subject of continuous debates between her and Jane. She also seems to not be doing well in art, which is supposed to be her strongest class. It's her thing. Eventually, after a lot of making out and going everywhere but all the way, Ryan and Jane have sex, and it's nice. But Jane hears Ryan say that he loves her, and she sort of flips out and runs away. Days pass, and Jane is depressed because of what happened, although Kat puts it into perspective and takes her, along with Molly, who has broken up with her boyfriend Roger, so she can go out with Josie, out to celebrate. We get a flashback to a talk that Jane had with her grandmother about how sex is only for marriage, and then when the girls get back to the dorm and discover that the guys have pot, we get another flashback to her ex-boyfriend Eric and the stupid crap he did while he was high, and this explains essentially why Jane doesn't smoke. After reading Life After God by Douglas Copeland, Kat and Jane have yet another discussion, and then Jane goes and visits her religion professor, admitting that she's confused about where she is with God at the moment. Her professor says that being at college is a perfect place for it because there's safety in the academia bubble to explore what challenges one's beliefs. The gang goes on Thanksgiving break after having a big dinner at the dining hall courtesy of Kat and a purloined turkey and return to the end of the semester where Kat struggles with a paper she's supposed to write for religion class about what she believes in. The paper she had handed in was completely blank, suggesting a lack of belief, and and the professor, who really was, saw completely through that crap, gave her the rest of the semester to rewrite the paper. Amidst all of this are, well, college hijinks. A small snowball fight when classes are canceled, which leads to Jane getting a badly bruised face. Tying a couch to a car and driving the only way college students can, which is insane. More of Trisha's pranks on Wendy, including the one I mentioned about the prom picture. And everyone walking in on Felix and his boyfriend. As they head into finals, Kat starts to feel the pressure of her grades, and Jane sees another side of Ryan as he gets really jealous when he sees her talking to her TA, accusing her of flirting with the guy. Right before break, everyone at college attends Christmas Fest, a widely attended choir concert. Even Kat, who we all know is not religious at all, goes, much to the chagrin of Jean, who tries to call her out in public about it after the concert had broken up, but Kat and Jane both tell him off. The gang discusses what they're going to do over break. Josie's going back to home to Montana to work on his parents' ranch, which he stresses over because times have become tough. Kat finally finds inspiration for her final art project through cellular division. And after a study break, Ryan and Jane have a huge fight about one of Ryan's ex-girlfriends that ends with him curled up on the floor sobbing for forgiveness. Finals come and go. Cat gets an A on her art project. Wendy decides to transfer. 
Ryan gives Jane his own old pound puppy. Darby is still crushing on Jane and is completely clueless. Kat finally gets around to writing her beliefs paper and gets a B-plus before she heads home for winter break. Volume 3 is titled Great Expectations Part 1 and covers most of the first couple of months of the spring semester. It opens with the dramatic dream that Kat has wherein God puts her on trial for her lack of belief and then literally sends her to hell. Classes begin. Darby reflects on winter break and the advice his friends gave. Make your move, man! And Kat meets her new art teacher, Cal. Trish is conspicuously absent from a floor meeting. Mike is in a band and is apparently pretty good and everyone goes to see them perform at a party. Josie and Molly are there as well and Molly is upset that he doesn't seem to miss her very much over break. He says that he... He does, and he did miss her, but the pressure to be back home is tremendous, but then goes and has some more to drink and later passes out on the couch. And This will be a recurring theme throughout the entire book. Mike starts going with Mallory, a girl from the party that his band played. Kat starts sleeping with one of the guys in Mike's band named Berg, although she has the hots for Cal, while Darby struggles to figure out how he's going to make his move, and he's pushed in along by Cat, who finds his sketchbook sitting around one day and photocopies a drawing he did of Jane, then puts it in her mailbox. When Darby sees his picture on Jane's wall and hears Jane compliment it, he is all smiles and sex dreams about her. Unfortunately, when Valentine's Day rolls around, he finds himself listening to her about her problems with Ryan, which are mostly about his insecurities and jealousies and the fact that he's not having any real spark. In fact, on Valentine's Day, she comes on to Ryan pretty hard, and he's kind of a dud. Kat's thing for Cal continues, and it seems like he might have feelings too, especially when they have coffee together. Meanwhile, Mike and Felix notice that Josie is continually drunk. Then on Valentine's Day, he and Molly get drunk, have sex, and go out for McDonald's apple pies. Josie, who's completely smashed, drives off the road, but thankfully does not get hurt. They're pulled out by a farmer, and Molly seethes at Josie's perpetual inebriation after attending church and then having a rather spiritual moment in the woods jane returns home to see a note of apology from ryan and a note of confession from darby she freaks out and can't look at him the next time they're in history class together meanwhile cat and cal sharing a cigarette kiss sometimes later she finds a roommate selection notice in her mailbox and thinks about getting her own place and not rooming with jane next year in the dorm, Sarah finds Trish passed out on the bathroom floor. She takes her to the hospital where a doctor reveals that Trish had been pregnant and had a miscarriage. Sarah stays at Trish's bedside and Trish confesses that she knew she was pregnant and had scheduled an abortion, but couldn't go through with it, part of the reason being that she's adopted. Trish, Trish swears Sarah to secrecy and Sarah says she'll keep it confidential. Sarah brings back Trish back to the dorms and lets her stay the night in Wendy's old room. Kat and Jane drive to the Jane sisters in Minneapolis, and Jane tells Kat about how she and Ryan are having problems, while Kat confesses to kissing Cal. Jane gets all judgmental, and they drive out in silence. Over dinner, Jane tells her sister about Darby's letter, and it comes out that Kat has been planting the flowers, the drawings, and everything else. Jane asks for their advice, and her sister basically says that she'll have to suck it up and face him. Later on, Kat and Jane's sister have a heart-to-heart about boys and romance in a way that Kat isn't used to. She has a younger brother... And parents who fight all the time. She never has anybody to talk to at home like this. 
Molly walks out on Josie after he brings booze to their study session, and they later make up in the depths of the library. Then, later, Molly and Jane discuss possibly being roommates, while Felix and his boyfriend tell them that they're going to room together, which Gene overhears and then takes off so he can, well, rat them out. Cat and Berg break up because she calls out Cal's name while they're having sex. Way to go, Cat. And when Ryan completely flubs Jane's birthday to the point where he gives her the gift that Darby left at her door and then is all, let's go to the German house party, man, she tells him off. At a St. Urho's Day party, Jane flirts with Cat's brother Dylan and an incredibly drunk Josie shows up. He later passes out but isn't breathing and he's rushed to the hospital to get his stomach pumped. Jane goes looking for Molly, whom she finds kissing Dylan. At the hospital, Jane confronts Molly about her hooking up with Dylan and is all, I, I wanted him. Cat goes off to, on both of them, saying that nobody is hooking up with her little brother, and then they turn the conversation to what's most important, Josie's drinking problem. Meanwhile, back at the dorm, Darby finds the remains of the gift he left for Jane, which is smashed to the floor of the hallway, although don't forget, she didn't think it was from Darby, she thought it was from Ryan. But he's upset anyway. After having a fight with Vicky a couple of nights before about her sudden, quote, friendship with Sarah, Trish shows up in Sarah's room and apologizes for how she treated Wendy. Sarah says that Wendy was very homesick, but their teasing didn't help and invites Trish to watch a movie with her. Felix, Mike, and Molly confront Josie. The guys are harsh. Molly begs him to get counseling. Finally, Kat meets up with Cal, who puts an end to whatever had started between them, and the book ends with her sobbing in a parking lot between two cars. So that's nothing better up to this point. Like I said, it's, I'm pretty sure there may be more pages, more more strips beyond this on the website, uh, but we're sticking to the three trades. And uh, I've been talking for quite a while, so my first question is, like we <laughs> do on our other show, what did you yeah. think? What did you? Th- yeah, thank you. That was probably like 15 minutes right there. I took a little nap. I what did I think? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It it kept me thoroughly engaged. I read it very quickly. I wasn't at all bored. And I I even when I reached the last page or the last issue of the third novel, mm-hmm. I was disappointed when it was over because there are many unanswered questions, in particular the Ryan situation yeah. and what what his deal is right now. So no, I I enjoyed it. I think while some of this stuff that goes on is rather disturbing to my sheltered life. I I do see that it is pretty realistic because that kind of stuff, you know, did happen. I mean, it happened to people around me. Yeah. So, yeah, I, which I appreciate that it's, it's more realistic as a comic book yeah. than other things that we've read. Yeah, I, um, I, I take solace in the fact that there's going to be more. Than yeah. just these three books so it didn't it ends it ends because this is just where it you know it's like reading the first like three trades or four trades of like strangers in paradise or something like knowing that there's going to be more coming down the line you know as it gets made um no i i agree with you i i um college like college can be hard to write about in a way that doesn't fall into the trap of like an animal house type of comedy, mm. you know, so like surrounding some sort of fraternity and things like that. And they, um, 
they avoid that. They 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 keep it in like you know he keeps it in dorms and and he has this sort of core characters. But um, you're right. It was um, it was very realistic, um, and I, I can get into. Um, we can get into that as we go. Um, I will say that um, if if you've listened to the synopsis and you're interested in picking up, please be aware that it is definitely rated R. Um, <laughs> there's well, there's 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 nudity and there's um, there's plenty of cursing, which I on you know, and I'm not trying to sound crude. I appreciated that it was in there because I think that added, believe it or not, to the realism of it um because well, i didn't understand why the first volume was very much without it and then it was the second volume that started to introduce the cursing yeah i i'm not entirely sure um i, I don't know if if that was something that was he trying to make it edgier i don't I'm, know i made one volume the next one's gonna be more hardcore or that he Maybe he um, had a. Maybe it was that year, and he. And I know that he, I read. We read in the bio that he he had published it like via a grant or something. So maybe he pulled back mm. on the first one, and then didn't have to do that on the second one. But yeah, you're right. It's um, but yeah. But there's there's some there's a fair amount of like you know there's your fair amount of foul language in the first one, but it's, there's definitely more in the second one, and. Um, you know, uh, glimpses here and there in terms of um, some of the sex and nudity in it, but not on not on a level where it gets really explicit. Uh, but yeah, but no, there it is. It is also very realistic in that regard. Um, so, uh, so we have uh, we have really we have like several characters, but we really do have like two main characters. With with two others who are kind of the like I said they make up like a core four and I find that um, four characters in something like this is a really good number um, because it's easy to um, and you can have like peripheral characters but um, this is one of the things that <laughs> this is one of the things I always hated about the X Men was that in when I was reading it in the nineties was that there were too many characters to keep track of. And things like that. So, and and after a while, the stories got got crappy, and I dropped the books. But like you know, when you have a core group that you can like really keep track of on a constant basis, especially as a writer, you're able to craft those characters around. Um, you know, give them each distinct personalities, as opposed to be like you know, uh, you know, that's kind of the same character written four times. But the two main characters you have, Jane and. Uh, and and fish um, or, or Jane is fish. Jane and cat. Uh, who did you identify with more, and then who's your most liked or least liked characters? I would say Jane, though there are some clear differences between she and I. And least or most disliked hmm, of those two or of the whole cast? Just of the whole cast. Okay, I would at first have said. Wendy? No, that's not her name. Trish, Trish. Trish. Though clearly Tyler Page really got your sympathy with that. But I probably Cat <laughs> makes a lot of poor decisions that I don't agree with. So I would almost say her. But
but on the border with Jean because Jean is one of those um, mm. those people that are a little too harsh in their uh, their Christian judgment. That, Sanctimonious. Um, yeah, this, they give Christians kind of a bad name. Yeah. So they're yeah, I, I would go with those two. Might be. Yeah, I I agree with you on Jean and and Jean's boyfriend Ryan. Um, it gets like. Like, if she was a weaker character, um, it, he could almost be abusive. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see it going in that direction because I think I've seen too many shows where the where the abusive boyfriend. This is how it starts. Um, Jane doesn't strike me as the type of of person who would get sucked into that. Um, you know, so it hasn't gone that far yet. Um, and I don't, and I mean, I don't have any expertise on this, mm-hmm. but do abusive boyfriends or significant others show their hand right away with it? Because he, he's fine for what the first two yeah. volumes. It's I, the third one that stuff starts to change. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> it's cause I don't have an experience with it either. I'm, I'm going to say that, that pages is trying, if it's going in that direction, he's trying to do it as organically as possible. So that it's almost like, um, the it starts with the jealousy and then it becomes like more and more controlling. But Jane doesn't seem to always be having it, you know. Like, mm-hmm. um, in fact, she uh, she uh, tells him off at, on like the Saint Rose Day party. So like toward the end of book three, she tells him off and is looking to hook up with Kat's brother either as revenge or because she just wants to, you know, or whatever. So they may or may not be together, you know, so you don't know in exactly in what direction this is going, but I could I could see that. But then again, I, I've read too many, you know, seen too many, like, you know, big little lies and things like that. So Right, yeah. Um, I, as a person, I, it's, it's weird because there are, I knew girls like Kat. One of my best friends in freshman year of college is very much like Kat. Um, I probably was closer to Jane in terms of like who I was if I'm between the two of them. Um, and I see a little bit of myself in Darby, sadly. Um, Although I don't, I, I'd like to think that I wasn't as pathetic as Darby does get. So, but did yeah. your friend, your cat friend, did she was she like that the entire five years of college? No. Um, we it was weird because like we would. It was one of those friendships where, like, we'd be we'd be like really close for a little while, and then like we wouldn't see each other for the longest time, and then we would, you know, that sort of thing. So sure. Um. So no, she was she was more steady with guys here and there, and then she, God, she's been married. I think she's been ma- married longer than I have. Oh, okay. But she's been, but she's been with her husband for less. If I'm doing the math, I've actually been with Amanda longer than longer than she's been with her husband because they met like the fall after she after graduation. But 
I don't know. Anyway, um, no, she she did like there was kind of and I, and I think that's something that if if he carries this all the way up to like their senior year, you hope that there's going to be some sort of growth, right, among them, and, and because the thing I was reminding myself of as I was reading this, like these kids are like eighteen, you know, mm-hmm. and the difference between eighteen and twenty two is actually really really big. Um, as much as it doesn't seem that way. So what do you think? I mean, let's, let's, we, we talked a little bit about Jane and Ryan's relationship. Um, why do you think he is so jealous? I mean, I mentioned the possibility <laughs> he could be abused. Like he has the, all these injuries yeah. and then he gets like, like sobbing on the floor in the fetal position. Please forgive me. Like, what do you think is up with, with that? Cause that's, I think it scares her, you know? Well, yeah, yeah, it's pretty scary behavior. Um, what's up with that? I, I don't know. I feel like I've seen things like this where someone becomes so attached and then, you know, you threaten to leave them and then they start breaking down. So there's something obviously going on uh, p- potentially in his past but I think it's also it might be symptomatic of what he's doing on the other side and that there's like nervousness so this I think it's all wrapped into what he's doing because we find out in the third one or really we don't find out at all but he's there's something going on either with him and his ex-girlfriend or he's got another Mm-hmm. girlfriend on the side i don't know so i think that it's almost fear uh perhaps fear of losing her but also fear of being caught if he's got something else going on and it might be some guilt as well like he's showing jealousy but at the same time he's doing it so he might be angry at himself but it's it's like a really weird situation because i think if he were so because it's almost like all of a sudden tyler page is merging darby with ryan mm-hmm. because darby is someone i could totally see become I mean, that clingy, that attached that he would break down and cry if she would ever. But I also don't know. Well, I guess he would have some self-consciousness because we sort of see how he gets sad when she shows her affections for somebody else. Mm -hmm. But it just seems it seemed a little strange, a little random that this is what was was finally happening. But if you care this much for this person, you're apologetic, you're crying. Why is he like missing things, completely forgetting about her birthday, not being with her on important. Yeah. I, there's something weird going on. Yeah. So, and I, and I do wonder if that's something that will be revealed or, yeah, or what, or if, um, you know, I would almost hope that it doesn't take a more sinister turn. Like it would, you know, like if she does break it off with him, does he start stalking her in a way? Or, yeah, I wouldn't want it to go in that direction, a because I don't mm-hmm. really because because it, it it could quickly go into the sort of like cheat sure. trauma, and I think he's um, although I think he could portray it in a way that would seem would seem realistic, you know, where the stalking comes in that form of like not like. I'm going to kill you type of, you know, sinister thing. Not yet anyway, but this sort of just relentless phone calling and the just, I won't leave you alone type of like, you know, just really, really annoying you. Like, you know, to the point where the, you know, before it becomes like, you know, you're, you want to harm this person. You're just, you know, constantly, you know, up there, you know, up their rear end and being like, you know, 
and 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 you're not getting the hint that like they don't want to talk to you. Right. So I can see that happening. Um, but then we do have Darby. Darby's like Darby's an animation geek, um, and he's an art. The Iron Giant. Yeah. So he he uh, he walks around wearing he Looney Tunes t-shirts. He he has like DVD boxes of Looney Tunes, and he shows Jane the Iron Giant. Which makes her cry, and that's like one of the first times they ever hang out, actually. And he like immediately has a crush on her. But the problem is that Darby is the feeling you're we're supposed to get, especially with the later on with the talk with his friends um, over break, that he's completely inept. Like he has no, he does not know how to make the first move. He doesn't know how to really flirt. He doesn't know how to express his feelings. It's like he's waiting for it to happen, like waiting for her to get all the hints that he thinks he's dropping, but he really isn't. And he tries this secret admirer thing mm. that doesn't really go anywhere, and Kat tries to keep going, because I think Kat just finds it funny. Yeah, she's not doing it to help him out. No. Um, but I don't know. Like, There are points where I sympathize with, with Darby, because I've been that guy sometimes but then i also am like kind of think of him as a bit pathetic yeah in a way what did you think yeah yeah i i cared for him i thought you know what a nice guy because you always go to those cookouts you know Mm mm-hmm and did you have a cookout when you went to college? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. And it's super awkward. And sometimes it's not even, well, I guess it was. My dorm was co-ed, so it would have, I guess there would have been guys in there. I don't even know. I'm sure. I think I remember having subs or hoagies. But <laughs> I don't recall. Yeah, because those first couple of days were awful. Oh, awful a, for me. They're a blur, too. <laughs> yes. Or we can, we can get into those stories in a minute because I actually have a story about Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Day, so. Um. I mean, I felt I I spent my first night in my dorm room uh, crying in the stairwell. <laughs> so um, that I was threw, for me my first year. I threw um, my breakfast up in the parking lot of a rest stop I, in the New Jersey oh, Turnpike. I had spent the night before crying in my bedroom because I had said goodbye to my girlfriend. So oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. But, yeah, so this guy, you know, they first meet at that little cookout, and I thought, oh, this will be nice, you know, a friend. They're both awkward, and I thought they were very compatible when I first met them, and um, he he was a dorky, sweet guy. I mean, he's certainly someone I would go for because he seems very sweet. Uh, he likes sort of these all oddball things, you know, not necessarily in the like not mainstream you know mm-hmm. um i like iron giant i'm not trying to put people who like looney tunes i grew up on looney tunes i'm just saying you know it's not probably what what jane was was looking well, for no, and, and when you walk into like this is what 2004 2005 and the iron giant yeah. came out in the 90s so yep you know it's, yeah. it's not this would have been around the time that i don't know whatever comedy that you know when i was when i started college in the fall of 1995 it was reservoir dogs and pulp fiction ah uh, okay so yeah, but yeah, I I could tell she was only really interested in the friendship with how she acted during meal times because he would like sit down and she would chat with him for a little bi- while and then she would leave. And I think if you were interested in someone, you'd probably try it. even if you were finished with your meal, you would you would stay with him. And then it does get a little 
so I, I think he's sweet, but then I think it gets a little, I guess, desperate or pathetic when he's like trying to save her a seat in the front row of the lecture. If you're like yeah. waiting, he's telling people, don't sit there. I'm saving for, and then she never comes. And yeah, the, the, um, the, the secret admirer, which I think really never works out because when do you reveal yourself? Are you always going to be the secret admirer? So I, I feel bad for him, but. I, I don't know if it's creepy yet because she, he's not been stalking her. No. I think there are some moments that he appears and he whenever he sees her, he's always waving. Like there are crowd scenes that you'll find in the book where it's just focusing on the main four or the core four, as mm-hmm. you said. And then you'll see in the background like him highlighted and waving and saying, Jane, Jane. But I, I don't think he's like intentionally going out of his way to, to stalk her. So I I think he's on the cusp maybe of being creepy, but now I'm wondering with his shattered dreams in the form Mm. of this shattered snowball, how how it's going to uh, go out for him. Yeah, and I I just, I I wonder if he's like, it's like he doesn't know, he's so awkward Mm -hmm. and so probably inexperienced with girls that he doesn't know how to be casual in a way. Sure. Now, I'm not talking about like having casual sex or anything, but like just be casual, be laid back and kind of go with it. And which is the type of guy that I think you see in Jane, like she might be more interested in, you know, because he's not trying, because that type of guy is not trying to, you know, force the moment. And Darby's like always trying to force the moment. Like he's, like he thinks that he's under the impression um, that the grand romantic gesture is always going to get the girl. Yeah. You know, um, like like he might as well be doing a balcony speech or something like that because that's the type of you know you know so and so he overthinks all of these things. And what I found I found that interesting too about like you know how he's kind of in the background. I don't think he's stalking her either either. And I think it's just it, a it's a small college. Yeah. And um, I know you went to a much larger college, but I did, I did go to a small college at the time. It was about, um, a few thousand people, which is small for a college university. And despite the fact that there were plenty of people at the college who I never ran into and didn't know at all when I, you know, whatever, I would run into the same people all the time because our classes intersected with one another or whatever. And it was in some way easy to know where somebody was going to be even if you didn't even weren't trying to because like you always saw them at certain times and things like that so in the same way an extension of the same way that you would memorize your crush's schedule in high school tom you didn't do that did you well if i'm being honest <laughs> out of eight classes with this one girl i had a crush yeah. on I had like five classes with her, so it wasn't very hard to know where she was because she was. We were all in the same honors classes together. We had like three classes for like a couple of years. We had like two or three classes where we weren't in the same class, so it was just one of those things where, like, you know, you knew I knew where she was going to be. Um, but you know that that, that whole thing of like, you know, so. I mean, Ricky had Jordan Catalano's schedule memorized. Well, okay. 
So, but no, I, I think was that for his benefit or for Claire's? I think it was for his benefit, and he was because that was in an early episode before they became really, really close. Oh yeah. So I think it was. I think it was just a way of showing like a little bit of vulnerability and how Ricky feels about somebody mm. or who Ricky likes without yeah. getting, without creating a subplot, which is one of the things I liked about that show. You liked many things. About I like many show. things about that show, but one of the things I liked about my so-called life was the fact that there were certain times where you needed to know a little bit more about a character in that regard. And they didn't feel the need to make it into an entire subplot of the series. They just gave it a moment or two and it was just enough. So, and then later on, it could become its own plot if it needed to. So, um, anyway, uh, back to this. Um, so yeah, I don't think he's stalking her. I think I think you're right. I think he's just kind of there, and he's in the background. And since she doesn't think of him that way, she's kind of like this dorky guy who she's friends mm-hmm. with, and she's never really yeah. going to consider him. Even when she finds out, she's not going to consider him that way. She just doesn't think of him that way. Which makes you feel bad for Darby. Yeah. But you wonder if there's some cute, nerdy cartoon girl out there for him and maybe in one of his classes. Or are those two going to get together in the end? Is there any chance for those two? After the Ryan debacle? I hate to say it because it sounds so awful, but... Tom. Yes, but in a way that, like, he's a rebound. Oh. Yeah, like, like, not that they sleep together or anything, but they get together and she's clearly, like, not consciously using him to get over Ryan, but he's there. And, um, it's something that, you know, if it... If it works out for a while, it was just, it was started under kind of those false pretenses where she just kind of took advantage of him in a way. But not like consciously, you mm-hmm. know? So that's, yeah. which is, it's just even sadder because if she was using him for something like that, it would be, um, you know, or, or doing it cruelly. Like Kat's the type of person who, as we watch her history, would. But Kat really does have her heart broken at the end of, um, at the end of the third book, because she really was getting, like, she was hooking, she hooked up with her TA, or she kissed her TA, and they don't think they did anything beyond that. And he's, like, married. Yep. And she really, fa- you could tell she really falls for him. Mm-hmm. In a way that she really hadn't with the other guys that she had been with. And there were a few like where she hooked up and, and this was something, this was something I learned about my first semester of college that I had never been privy to because I, up until like my senior year, I couldn't get a date. So I was like, you know, my Friday nights were, there were people who I went to high school with who would spend Friday nights at keg parties and, you know, going out in the woods and getting drunk and hooking up and having sex and like all those suburban things. And I'd go to the video store, (laughs) rent a few John Hughes movies and like sit in my basement and like watch movies or I'd have friends over and we'd watch like stupid movies or we'd play like 
NHL 95 on Genesis or whatever it was. So by the time I got to my senior year, I actually started going out with a couple of people. But this whole idea of hooking up was not something that I was ever really um, informed of until I went to college. And I saw that, like, you know, I knew guys, roommates of mine who would, you know, go to a party, bring a girl home. Sometimes something would happen would happen, and maybe it would be prolonged, but they were never really that serious with the girl. And Kat's kind of doing that at the beginning of the year. Um, I don't know. what What's your evaluation on her and, and her whole, essentially, sex life, which is deliberately juxtaposed with Jane because the two of them couldn't be more opposite when they first yeah I think it seems like Kat is I mean I don't know what her life was like I I, I shouldn't say that I don't recall what her life was like prior to entering college I don't remember how many like partner she had she didn't mention it the only thing we really the thing that i really remember is that her brother is like a is like a, a bike the racing bike racer, circuit, yep. and her parents are always fighting yeah i guess that's all yeah we need to know about it so i wonder if she's just sort of viewing high school as like this i don't know sexual awakening or just free-for-all and, and also you know academics as well as you know social um just becoming you know trying a bunch of things out as well as trying to figure out who she is which i think is one of the big struggles anyways with all the conversations philosoph- philosophical as well as religious conversations that she has with jane so i think she's just sort of a free spirit right now and she's just engaging in what she can engage in and, and trying to figure out what she likes and what she doesn't like because I do I almost feel like she liked Josie a great deal. Do you think she you still say that she liked the TA more than Josie? Um because she never got together with Josie. No, she never did get close. together with Josie, and I think she does like Josie a great deal and cares about him quite a bit. But by the time he and Molly are together for a while, yeah, and he and Molly are very, very serious, and and I got the feeling that even though she's probably jealous, she accepts it on some level. But with the TA, mm-hmm. she, I don't know, like, I don't know if if it's like she likes more than another, but she. More than another, or the fact that she actually was able to um, make a move on the TA, mm. Cal, right? Yeah, she's making able to make a move on Cal and have it reciprocated. Um, allowed her to feel more, whereas with Josie, she was friend zoned and. She might have had the feelings for her, but she never let the feelings out. And with Cal, she did. So she allowed herself that vulnerability that she wasn't allowing with some of the other guys. Mm. Because some of the other guys she was with were just were more than likely. She, she was upset by the one guy who she hooks up with early on. Um, in fact, he, he didn't call her back. He didn't or call whatever. her back, and she's upset with that. But at the same time, like. I don't know. There's a level of vulnerability with Cal that she she doesn't she doesn't express. And had she been with Josie, and that had happened, yeah, she probably would have felt that way. But she didn't mm-hmm. allow herself to get to that point because she saw the writing on the wall. Unlike Darby. 
So, um, did I, I, you know, see my perspective as somebody who was in college, um, is a little bit different because I was with my freshman year. I spent living in a, in a suite with four other guys and we knew, you know, we had the girls across the hall, that sort of thing. The couple of rooms of girls here and there. And it was this weird, the weird family you create around you your first year of college. Um, and that's something that I really appreciated about this book was that it felt very real to me. Um, you know, you talk about, we we're talking about cookouts. Mm-hmm. Um, that girl who I was friends with, who I'm still friends with, uh, who was very much a cat, my, my cat, so to speak, was, was one of the first people I met at college. And I remember being, um, very like just upset and sick for most of the day and then running into her at the cookout. Um, I had met her a little earlier in the day because we were doing something, we were in some orientation group together or whatever. And um, I just remember showing up at the cookout and like, you know, talking to her and like her giving me a hug and she's probably flirting with me, but I didn't realize it. And um, finally being able to eat something, (laughs) keep it down. (laughs) And like having this feeling of like, okay, I'm going to be okay. So I remember that. So, um, which is probably one of the reasons we're still friends in that, like, you know, we got each other pretty well, even though Mm -hmm. like I was, you know, totally not, you know, we were totally from different worlds, but, um, but yeah, so, you know, the, the, the fact that you like the people you meet, like first, it's like for a while, like they're your people, they're your tribe. And then after a while, like you drift apart, you, you break up, you, you lose friends, you gain other friends, you know, and, and things like the dynamic of the people who my friends, my roommates were hanging out with at the end of senior year and the beginning of freshman year were totally different. Um, over the course of four years, I had, six roommates like wow. shared a room with six different people um the first roommate i had moved into the other room of the suite spring semester the second roommate i had decided to commute after freshman year because he so he could afford to go my sophomore year roommate transferred my junior roommate was rooming with me because his roommate was studying abroad that semester that year my first semester senior roommate was a fifth year senior who graduated in December, and my last roommate, bed roommate, was a Swedish exchange student. So I had. Six and you, you had a Swedish exchange student, and you couldn't pronounce those Swedish terms. They were Finnish. Oh, and this was, okay. This Never was mind. in 1999. <laughs> Frederick, Frederick, and I were 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 at that time. Okay. Frederick was cool though, so. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's just interesting to see, like, you know, the, the perspective. Did you, did you know anybody like, like Kat? Because I know you weren't Kat. Yeah, no, I certainly was not. Um, hmm, I, pff, maybe someone on my hall, my roommate, maybe, I was exiled a couple times, but she had generally well no that would i was too that yeah thank goodness for my best friend who lived in dabney that i could just walk across the um 
the quad. I uh, yeah, probably my roommate. I remember it was one of the first couple orientation days I walked in and she was with the guy making out with him, but that wasn't the one that sexiled. I got mm. sexiled. She had like an then she had a long-term long-distance boyfriend who lived in at Virginia Tech. So, yeah, maybe, maybe that'd be her going out drinking. Yeah. I had a long distance, long term girlfriend, um, and we would meet at her parents' house on the weekends. So, that was starting in sophomore year. My, my freshman year girlfriend was the girl I had been dating in high school. Oh, yes, yes. That ended badly. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, because you were there. I was there. You were like 12. I'm just kidding. You told me about I her. I know you told me. I know I told you about her. Yeah, yeah. No. Oh, okay. And, and that, <laughs> I thought that long, you forgot. Yeah, that long-distance girlfriend who um, who I would meet on the weekends, like at her parents' house, is, is sitting upstairs right now. So that worked Whoa. out. Whoa. Are oh, you yeah. in your her parents' house right now? No, I'm in my basement. <laughs> oh, boy. We have been, to, we have been together for 21 years. I do, we are going to talk about the conversation about religion and philosophy and things like that, um, but I want to save that a little later because I think it's a longer conversation to have. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I, I the one of the things that, like I said, was, and I, and I think I mentioned this, um, I was, we both said how realistic it is. I could flip through the scrapbooks I have from the four years of college, especially my freshman year, and be like, and identify like people who are very, very much like these characters. And I think that's what drew me to keep reading the series after reading the first trade. Um, because I, I really got sucked into, and even like, uh, like on the lighter side, a note that I make is I really like the college hijinks, even if they have very little to do with the plot. Because they're not, they're not too crazy outlandish. Oh no! They're not too animal housey. Like they go tray sledding at one point, which um, I never did. But there, but my roommate went mudsliding one time because the, the the hill near one of the dorms it rained one night and it was just basically a big mudsliding pit. Um, one night when it was pouring out, me, my roommate Dave, and our friend Jen snuck onto the lacrosse field, which was artificial turf. And do you know what it's like to, to, to be on an, what, a what happens when you, when you go on an art, a wet artificial turf field? Well, I've been on one. I, I'm not sure you, you, you fall down. You hydroplane. Oh, okay. It's, it's, so we basically, we went on this turf field and we were slide. It was like a big slip and slide. And that was, that was one of the silly things we did, you know, and we did the thing where like, you know, uh, you stole some of the silverware from the cafeteria and, um, <gasps> Tom. and snuck beer into your dorm in various and assorted um, ways, which is how I know how a 1990s era computer monitor box fits a pony keg of beer. Because that's how we used to get it out of the dorm. Yeah, so we used to do stupid crap like that, but none of the stuff that's in here and, and, and the stuff that we did was anything that was just like in like outwardly and seemed where you're like nobody would do that or get away with it. I like the whole bit with the couch tied to the roof of the car because like that's oh totally something a bunch of stupid college students would do. Yeah, let's tie the couch to the roof of the car and then have the couch go flying off the car. And have the two people hanging out the windows holding it down. Yeah, I mean, that's totally 
something I could see my friends doing because we're morons, you know, like when we were 18, 19, like let's get a couch from Goodwill. We had actually talked about getting a couch from Goodwill, but we were too lazy to go do it. Wow. So yeah, so we never got the couch and then we were like, well, what are we going to do with it once we, um, and then senior year, we had a couch that was basically a Goodwill couch, and we ended up throwing it away at the end of the year because it was just disgusting. So, yeah. What a life you led. I lived in the dorms for four years. We made the most of it. And so, you know, we did what we could. Anyway, um, see, see, I'm revealing all these college hijinks, and you're doing your typical thing of not saying very much. Uh, well, my college hijinks <laughs> don't are not as crazy as yours. I mean, I did things like played midnight tennis. Mm. I went out, you know, and walked out. I enjoy playing tennis at night, actually. So, you know, we would do that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, once I got into the A school, it was basically like the architecture school. My life was kind of devoted to that. So there weren't as many hijinks. Yeah, they do kind of run your life once you're in the... They absolutely do. Yeah, Amanda had a couple of, uh, at least one sorority sister who... You don't see them very often? No, no. So, did you get along with your roommates? Uh, my first one, no. Um, I used to do passive-aggressive things. Well, at one point, my... Um, <laughs> what are you... <laughs> Are you trying to imagine this? At no, one point, because I did a few passive-aggressive things to a couple of my roommates, but, um, yeah. <laughs> the um, My brother and sister-in-law came to the Tech UVA game. It was at home, and I got them some tickets, and I think they were visiting my... Um, my room there and she like we knocked on the door or something i can't remember and she opened it in a bathrobe and so i remember my sister-in-law making comments about this um because <laughs> there's my brother um but no the passive aggressive things that i would do the main one was we had a little recycling bin you know and then for each room there's a recycling bin but mm-hmm. then you when it got full you took it down to the main recycling down at the level one of the dorm yeah i was at level three generally i was the one to take out the recycling and i just had enough because i was usually always the only one so i just let it build up and up and up and it got to the point where you open the door and all these bottles would like knock over like (laughs) 10 pins and then she finally took it out i mean i was basically giving update daily updates to my mom like yep Recycling's still here. So then when their cycling got taken out, it was an exciting day. One thing my roommates did, so the the dorms that we lived in for four years had like full kitchens and bathrooms um, because two of the buildings out of the three we lived in were high-rise apartment buildings that the college bought from the, from the owners because we, we were in Baltimore. And so, like, so they were basically these big high-rise buildings. And so they had their own kitchen. They had their own bathrooms. And so we had dishes. And sophomore year, my roommate Dave, like, never did his dishes. Uh So, like, they would just, the crap would pile up in the sink. So one of my other roommates, Rich, so there were four of us, one of my other roommates, Rich, took all the dishes and put them in his bed. Oh. So, and I was pretty, like, you know, I'm a slob. Like, to a certain extent. And there's just a lot of clutter and stuff. I, I will never have food out. Like, I'm not that type of slob, but like, you know, there's just, 
crap clutter clothes on the floor whatever dave sure. was so much more of a slob than i was that i was forced to keep myself rel- relatively neat and oh. we ha- we shared a very small bedroom where you could see where his half of the room essentially began and mine like you could see where like all of his stuff kind of stopped at this one place and there was there was like my desk and my stuff and my half of the room and like his desk and his half of the and then there was this thing with my roommate Dennis, and uh, and like they did the same thing. They put like all these newspapers that he had like in his bed because they were just piling up all over the place and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, people did passive aggressive or flat out aggressive things with some, depending on how much alcohol was involved. But but unfortunately, I don't have the thing. Is like I listen to some of my friends tell stories, friends who are not you know were not of my uh, college years, tell stories about them in college or high school, and it's like leagues ahead of anything that my roommates and I ever ever did like we were mm-hmm. tame in comparison throwing garbage out the window was like the most insane thing we ever did so and the fact that we kept it up for a year and never got caught is also insane so wow yeah they shouldn't have put that dumpster there so oh my goodness yeah. did you actually make it inside the dumpster mm-hmm and if we didn't we would go down to the dumpster and put the garbage bag in the dumpster oh well that's good yeah yeah we'd clean it up so it's not like you were pelting people with garbage no we were taking full bags of trash throwing them out the window and seeing if they okay. hit the dumpster below because it was one of those really really long construction dumpsters oh yes yeah so yeah we were we were uh, we were idiots how come you never jumped out into the dumpster because we're eight floors up. Uh, death. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit of motivation. <laughs> um, so, so we have some supporting characters. Let's talk about them, and then we'll get into um, we'll get into uh, a couple of the, the major things I want to talk about. Um, Josie, who I like as a character, and he gets this storyline where he is. Um, dealing with a home life that is stressful beyond what the others are doing. Like where his parents like Kat's home life is stressful because her brother feels like he's the only one who's keeping their parents together. Mm. And like every time she comes home, they're fighting and fighting and fighting Jane. The funny thing is, is Jane's home life is not stressful in general. Like her parents are married. Everything's fine. Her ex-boyfriend is kind of a tool. Um, I like the sort of like friendship she's got with the guy like across the way um, in that one scene, like where they're back at home, like her neighbor boy, um, which reminds me of a friend I used to have. And, um, but like her thing is like her home life starts to feel suffocating because of the fact that she's had all this freedom at college and she goes home and it's like, all of a sudden you're treating me like I'm a teenager in high school all over again. But like with Josie, he comes from Montana and his parents own like a dude ranch, basically, and business is not good. And he's really, really homesick. And he starts drinking, and I mean, like drinking to the point where it's a problem. And he gets his stomach pumped at one point. Um, is he is Paige sending a message here? I mean, like, what what purpose do you think that serves? Because he he doesn't really start drinking like this until about like. The third book, I believe. Yeah, I I think it's able to serve a couple purposes. I think you've got 
the people who are partying hard and, and they go, it's not just partying to have fun, but they get a little out of control and uh, they, you know, the dangers of drinking is that if you're not in control, you get alcohol poisoning or you potentially die. There was someone who I think my first year was visiting either from VT or like JMU. I remember it was one of those local colleges and uh, died and it was like, he was visiting a friend, so you know that it hits. You know, you're mm-hmm. a first year, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this this stuff actually does happen." You're in the real world now, Stella. Um, so I think he's touching upon that, just the the dangers of of partying, partying too hard, and and what maybe one sect of college students might be doing. And I think he's also able to portray what it's like for people to be far away from home and, and be really homesick about it. I think there are some familial pressures on him, but the way that he talks about the wide open spaces, and I feel like I could be putting this in the book, but aren't there some, like, spreads of him just, like, imagining? Yeah. The wide open yeah, space, like, as he tells people, that, yeah. yeah. Because I think, and and part of me also wonders, how much is he making this stuff up? Because when he's talking to his girlfriend, I almost wondered, like, is that really what's happening? You know, you've got all this work? Because we don't really know. We didn't see. And I was wondering if he was romanticizing it more and Mm. if there's a – and honestly, if he's putting the burden on himself in a way that his parents never were. Like, he feels like – it's almost like the things – the times are tough and, and, you know, they need to be back there is just an excuse for him – and out, it's an out for him. Mm-hmm. And then maybe he doesn't want to admit that he's like really homesick, and he's and he he actually doesn't want to be there. Yeah. You know, despite the fact that he has a girlfriend and friends and stuff like that, so that's that's yeah. the perspective that I was wondering. Yeah, I just think um, Tower Pager, the author, is able to potentially blend two archetypes into one character. Yeah, it didn't feel as forced as I thought it would. The drinking? Yeah, the drinking and then the intervention and everything. Um, Because they were in that culture already. Mm. You know, like, they're all part of the drinking culture at college. So the idea that, you know, and and then he has him just, even though it does start in earnest when they get back in January... He has him become more and more of a drunk as he goes along, where it's like, you know, when you're around, because, I mean, I'm not, I was never an enormous drinker in college, but I drank, and and my freshman year, I didn't drink very much. I got drunk like once. My sophomore year, and a lot of that had to do with being broken and the girlfriend back home. Sophomore year, on the other hand, like it's like in the first semester sophomore year, I tried to make up for everything I missed freshman year, and so you know I I was very responsible. I was going to my classes and everything, but you know I was very embedded in that like you know culture of Friday night, Saturday night. All right, where is their beer? And um, as you went on, anybody who really had a problem, you didn't see it. Um, until it started to happen in a way that was out of the ordinary, you know, like if if you knew those guys who were who were drinking like crazy hard on like Saturday night, 
one of them could have a drinking problem, but you wouldn't know because everybody around you was at the part at a party drinking. Sure. It's the one who was doing it Wednesday night, you know, and like, you know, and, and so it, it takes almost like, almost like extenuating circumstances or almost like out of the ordinary circumstances to get to that point where like, you know, you really are like, um, especially as you start to get older in college, um, where you realize that somebody, this person may have a problem because it's, it's, it's hard for you to spot when you're 18, 19 and everybody around you is doing it. And that's a st- silly, silly excuse, but it is a culture and it still has been, it has been for a while. So the fact that he had him doing that and then it got to the point where you could tell and his girlfriend and they all could tell that this was really a problem. And then you have that critical mass situation of him having to get his stomach pumped and, you know, being rushed to the hospital and stuff. So mm. I thought yeah. for what it's worth, it was portrayed in a way that wasn't as after school special as it could have been. Yeah, no. And I mean, I think, uh, you know, drinking, this is coming from someone who did not drink until she was 21. But, you know, drinking, it, it can be dangerous if you're not, you know, if you're not careful. I had a roommate who, whew, well, actually, I had a hallmate who at one point woke up naked in a bed. She wasn't sure how she got there Ooh, naked. That's, so that's a, oh. No, it's not. And then I had a roommate who came home, and it was Halloween. And I will always remember this, I think. And she was only speaking in Italian to me. And she kept saying, Porque, Porque. And uh, she doesn't, she did not remember how she got home. <laughs> And or that entire night and her friend that she had been with also did not. And she thought that someone put, you know, something in their drink. Mm. Obviously, we don't get into that kind of stuff here. But just to say that, you know, drinking, if you're not cautious, can uh, can really be dangerous. Well, no. Yeah. And that was that was the other thing that that we didn't get into that. And I've, I've known a few people who and attended to here and there a few people who girls mostly and it's not i'm not trying to be sexist but it was one of those things where guys do prey on girls in that way where they will slip something into a drink or punch yeah. or whatever yeah. at a party and you know dealt with here and there girls who had obviously had something like that happen to them mm-hmm. and not maybe not known it at the time and were just making sure that they were okay in terms of you know sitting in the bathroom with them as they threw up what was, you know, like, I, I've held hair back a Aww. number of times um, and uh, and had and had those few nights where, like, you know, whatever. And, um, and then I myself have had those moments where I was just, like, uh, destroyed. But um, Did someone hold your um, hair? No, my roommates decided to bust into the bathroom, which I had forgotten to lock, pour shaving cream on my head and take pictures. Wow. Yeah. Living with boys is not something that I would recommend. <laughs> unless, unless like, it's your significant other. It's just, no, you don't want to live with guys. They're boys are I, gross. Yeah. Boys are gross. So. Um, but, yeah, I, I just, I, I had... You know, or I had a couple of friends here and there who were a little too much into the pot, you know, which is never something I got into. 
And, or it was, again, it was just like, it started to encroach, but it never got to the point where we had to have an intervention the way they do Josie. And then, then we have a character like... Uh, you had an intervention? No, no, we never did. Oh, you never, never did. did. Oh. We never got to that point. But then we have a character, we have Trish, who... Oh, dear. In the first, um, like, couple of books is... Uh, I'm I'm going I'm going to go out and say and I don't usually curse in front of you, but she's just a stone cold bitch to Wendy, for really no reason except that except that it's this like it's like bitchy junior high school stuff, where like Wendy maybe is an easy target because she's kind of the fad the sad fat chick and um, Trish is like I just I so she's just doing all these cruel, terrible things to her uh, to the point where Wendy transfers, although Wendy also says she was, um, uh, when she tells Jane she's leaving, she says uh, that, you know, a big part of it was the fact that she was um, homesick and she wanted to transfer close to her home anyway. Uh, but then we have this storyline where she accidentally gets pregnant, which brilliantly foreshadowed by the way with the prank that cat and jane pull on her or that cat pulls on her yeah because i think we're supposed to believe that on some level it's possible that cat switching out of some of her birth control pills with tic tacs may have led to that accidental pregnancy yeah and it's sarah i believe was the name of the girl Mm-hmm. who's one of the nerdy girls, one of Wendy's friends, who finds her passed out, and she had the miscarriage, and she was going to get an abortion and everything. And, um, is this appropriately portrayed? Is this forced? Uh, does she need to have this happen to her in order to gain her perspective? I mean, like, how do you feel about this? Her perspective or her sympathy? Sympathy for her. Yeah, like, how do you feel about this? Uh, about this storyline. I mean, I appreciated him trying to insert things that were real mm. into this, you know, very, very real, but at the same time, I don't know if it completely works. What did you think? I was certain, it, it certainly took me aback. Um, I didn't, didn't like what Kat had done with the, um, the Tic Tacs and the mm-hmm. birth control pills. I could see, I liked the camaraderie and, and supporting those girls and getting back at Trish, but I thought that that was playing with fire and yeah, which is one of the far. reasons, yeah, which is one of the reasons I don't, um, that I have a hard time liking cat all the way. Mm-hmm. So, whew, but you know, it's interesting. I, I guess you mentioned that, it's not who it's it's the Russian author I think you Chekhov. said that if a Chekhov's Russian gone. yes the Chekhov's gone yes so I guess that was pretty deftly written because that was in the first arc wasn't it with the exchange of that it was and the then Hall- here, it was after the Halloween party yeah and so then here like we either, have yeah I think it was the the very beginning of book two yeah um I like it which is weird to say because of how terrible it is because it <clears throat> it it pulls Trish down and I think it thoroughly humbles her and um, it 
pulls or pushes or <laughs> it raises Sarah up because, you know, Sarah's been terrorized by, by Trish this entire time. But, oh, this is like Jane Eyre. This is like Jane Eyre. But she, when it comes down to it, I mean, she helps Trish out. She's the one that is is staying with her uh she she allows her to stay in her room or she goes over there and which i think it was a plotting error but because i thought she was already roommates with her but that's we shan't discuss that but just for her to you know forgive all of that stuff to, in a sense and and be there with her and then trish i think in going through this experience also realizes how bad she was now karma wise uh it's a little crazy and over the top because you know if if, if we are to, to, to speak about karma there because you know someone humiliating someone else while very terrible probably does not necessarily equate to being pregnant having to go through all those emotions of potentially having an abortion and having those emotions weigh on you because you in fact could have been aborted but your parents gave you up for adoption instead so they were saved and then the the miscarriage and everything those two don't necessarily equate mm -hmm. but i thought that it was a very compelling storytelling yeah I, so I, explain why, yeah, you don't care for it as much. Well, I, 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 I liked it. I just, it was, I think it might have been the whole, like, like, we weren't supposed to know Trish was adopted anyway, but the whole thing was just, like, all of a sudden everything was just dumb. Do you say we weren't supposed to know? Not up until that point, right? Uh-uh, that's not true. Remember in the introductory meeting when they're like, let's go around and say something about yourself. She said, I'm adopted. Oh, that's right. Well, then, yeah, I think I agree with you more. I just, I just was one. I was just wondering if it was like, it was, if it did feel like a little bit, just a little bit forced that Sarah's the one who finds her and all of a sudden it's this sort of like, you know, we're finding more about each other and like you're a lot more human than I thought you were type of thing. I still think it works, you know, um, but maybe like not on the level of some of the other things that, you know, um, I don't think it's as weak a plot point as some of the, as, as maybe, um, in fact, I don't find very many weak plot points in this entire, in this entire book, but, um, but yeah, I think, Listening to you, it, it, I definitely feel that it is definitely better than I had originally evaluated it because you're right; it is seated early. Um, I just, I think, I was just worried that if it, that since it did come, the 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 miscarriage and the the abortion, like the, that whole scene, does come out of like nowhere. But then again, if you really think about it, it's gonna come out of nowhere if you're one of the other characters and you're not really paying that much attention to Trish, you know? So, mm -hmm. so yeah. So, so I think, I think I, I agree with you there. It's, um, although I don't know if, if she's, if she's Jane Eyre. <laughs> or, <laughs> I was just saying it's or like, she, is Jane. she, uh, is, or is it like Rebecca? I'd have to work through that one. Why yeah, would, I, don't oh, I don't know. Well, I was just bringing up okay. other books we've read, to be completely honest with you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out the continuity thing of whether or not Trish and Vicky had been rooming together, like, 
like they switched roommates at some point. I I'd after the after Wendy left, or yeah, or 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 at some po- any point before that happened, like you know that they had switched roommates officially, unofficially, you know. Yeah. So, not that it really matters. I mean, you know, can no prize it that they did. Mm. You know, um, but uh, but yeah, it's just uh, the other thing is I find interesting. What I will say, like, really, really positive about it is how that didn't happen to one of the main characters. And soap opera type of shows that follow people through high school and college, like your 90210, your Dawson's Creek, your, you know, whatever, have a tendency to have those storylines happen to one of the main characters in some way or another. And Trish is not one of the main characters. And so she's a girl. If I'm Jane, she's this, Hey, she's this bitchy girl who's on my floor and this happens to her and no, I'm not going to know about it. And it's sort of, that's what I did appreciate it about it, that there were all these people who had these other lives mm-hmm. and they were, they were, they were not always intersecting with our main characters, you know, because that does happen on television shows like that where this tertiary character now has a problem and like Jason Priestley's going to solve it or something, or Dawson's going to solve it. And you're like, well, why, why they never talk to one another, but they just have to have screen time and we don't get that here. So I did, I did appreciate that. Um, so there's two things that I think I want to, I want to get into. And, and this, this spins out of the conversation we were just having about Trish and the miscarriage and, her having planned an abortion and she says she couldn't, she didn't know she could go through with it. And, you know, she's adopted and, and which when she talks about it, I felt was actually, I mean, granted, I'm not coming from the perspective of anybody who has actually ever had that happen to them. Well, technically I wouldn't because I'm not a woman, but you know what I mean? Like I've, you know, I've never been on the, on the male end of the, girlfriend having something like that happen to her but there's um quite a bit of sex in in the book (laughs) and uh it's college it's college right so it is if college is nothing else um aside from you know the pursuit of academic excellence there are some people whose college can be described in two words and that's beer and sex and so is it I mean, to me, it is very realistically portrayed. Um, there is some romance, there is some attempted dating, and then there is this casual hookup culture. And um, yes, there's a fair share of nudity. Um, I think his art style lends itself okay to this, in that um, he is not the type of person to draw anybody in a way that is um, like he, he's using realistic body types and you know so we're not seeing something like like J. Scott Campbell or somebody you know who's drawing like really bad cheesecakey or, or uh, what's his name Greg Land like people Ed like Benes. Ed Benes. Yeah. Like this is not what the artwork is. This is very, it's almost cartoony in a way. Um, but I think that lends itself well. I mean, what is, what is your feeling on the way that sex is portrayed in this, in this series? Um, 
This is something we never talk about, by the way. Uh, well, like you besides, and I, we never have conversations about about this. Don't. It never really has to come up. But even I, no. but we, and we really haven't covered any books that really have. Really Eleanor do. Park is the only other yeah, one I think so. that we talked about. Yeah, I, you know, as someone who was pursuing academic excellence, it's hard for me to comment on this. Quite honestly, I can only say from experience of like what other people were doing, and I guess yeah, um, it's interesting. The thing that gets me about this story, the setting, it not the setting technically a Christian university? Yes. Isn't there, doesn't it have a, or is it just, that's the name, but it has no foundations necessarily? Uh, okay, so I went to a, I went to a Jesuit college. So I went to Loyola, what was then Loyola College in Maryland is now Loyola University, Maryland. So it's Catholic. I'm not Catholic, but I went to a Catholic college. It had its rules of there was no Greek life, so there were no fraternities or sororities, which is common among Jesuit colleges, Georgetown, Fordham, um, Boston College, etc. Um, but just like George, Georgetown's a Catholic university founded by Jesuits, it's still got its culture of you know, drinking and, 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 and hooking up and things like that. And, you know, the college discourages that sort of behavior, but kind of looks the other way. And freshman dorms had, we still had one, like two co-ed dorms, uh, two, uh, sorry, single sex dorms left um, that both went co-ed during my time there. And if I'm being completely honest, I think it was less about changing for the times and more about the fact that the damage bill in the boys dorm was so astronomical that it was better for them to go go ahead anyway um but they kind of turned a blind eye to some of the behavior you know and it was just very much like you know there were parties and there was there was a lot like this so that's one of the things i found realistic about this is that it was a religiously affiliated college in this case it was lutheran actually it was raised lutheran so i could identify with that as well um but it was not a christian college on the level of like liberty which is like which is a baptist college so which is way more strict yeah, it's religious and in, in, in its religious following, and it's like so. So at Loyola, we didn't have to attend church. We didn't have to attend services. We don't want to. We had to take it part. I don't know if my roommates, my roommates were not part of the honors program. As part of the honors program, I had to take a theology course, but I didn't have to take religion. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it wasn't. I didn't have to take Bible study or anything like that. I had to. I took. A, I think I mentioned this in our March episode. Um, our episode about March where I took one that was about the civil rights movement and it just happened to be taught by a theology professor. And, you know, so it was a little bit more, more open right minded uh, than say Liberty, which, which tends to be a lot more dry and, and more condemning of, of certain behavior. So I see. Yeah. So, so that, I guess it comes down to whether the outward is, or the behaviors are reflecting whatever mm-hmm. the beliefs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I found out about weird stuff. It was always still very shocking to me. And I guess, you know, college, um, people are adults and they make adult decisions. And it also goes, it, it again, it, it comes down to belief systems, honestly. And so I think that's, you know, we've been 
teetering around that. <laughs> but once we get into the religious topic, I think we're going to we're going to have that that conversation. But yeah. you know, with Cat, she's an atheist. Uh, I'm not saying that atheists are you know they have wanton behavior, but obviously anyone who um, I mean this culture right now, America is very secular. Um, th- their decisions are not necessarily being made by what they believe is. I'm t- this is hard. Um, this they're not. They might. Oh my gosh! How do I word this here? I don't want to use the word right because my idea of right is different from other people's. Um, we're led to do what we desire to do, and I think um, obviously the religious people are um, led in a different way. So. I guess for if I'm to view this as more of like a secular leaning or just everyday average people, then yes, it seems normal. No, no kinky stuff was going on, so I appreciated no. there's no Fifty Shades of Grey. No, no, and I, I, the perspective that I was taking uh, through through a lot of like a lot of the scenes, which um, the walking in on each other and things like that was like was very realistic because oh my why didn't they put little rubber bands on the door they didn't they eventually figure out that system it's like it took one of us to walk in on the other one to realize hey we need to put something on the door like back and it was jane of all people who was the one that was mostly using the which was ironic back in the 90s it would have been a scrunchie um oh they're coming back tom yeah or a sock um sometimes it was a sock um or sometimes you would lock the door, <laughs> but um, but uh, what I I took it from the perspective of maturity, okay. And Jane and Cat are both very are both immature, and by virtue of the fact they're both eighteen. But like you know, Jane is immature in a way that she is not used to a lot of things, and perhaps more sheltered than Cat, who feels herself to be more experienced or worldly and I'm, I'm 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 making air quotes with that because you know she necessarily isn't but she's also she is very immature as well in that she is acting out or she's acting a certain way because maybe in her mind that's how people that age should act so you know and i think he deliberately threw them together as like here are these two people who are very much the opposite but as they get to grow and, and know one another there's a lot of similarities between them um so i think they're both i think Jane is on the cusp of kind of discovering some things about herself that she doesn't know, you know, exactly what it is because she, she loses her virginity to Ryan. And even then, um, you know, clearly enjoys it, but, you know, is, is trying, it seems to be trying to take a more mature approach to it. Whereas Kat is not a virgin even going in. And, um, so her view on it might be, you know, she might have a mature view on some regard, but it is also kind of, you know, still, you know, still trying things out. So it's, it's, it's that, that like one foot in childhood, one foot in adulthood thing that you have when you are in college. And I think that's where, that's where a lot of the conflict over, over the sex and, and sexuality and things come in. Um, but like I said, I think you're right. There's not a lot of ton of weird kinky stuff going on. Um, granted, I didn't know a lot of people who had weird kinky stuff going on when they were in college. So. I just remember someone in architecture, like a rumor going around that she had a foursome. And I was like, I don't even know how that would work. So there's my naivete. I'm sure there's a few movies you can look up on the internet tonight. <laughs> no, thank you. you, sir. Um, but 
we had like, see, I had like a, a bunch of guys and like two of them really were like one or two of the guys I hung out with really had very little experience in terms of girls. And, um, so like one of them met the girl he would eventually marry. And I don't think they, I don't, th- I, you know, I walked in on them making out a few times and things like that, you know, and then, and then I had, you know, I had my girlfriend and, and things, but then we had like the one roommate who would, who had a couple of girls here and there. And, you know, so when I look at a lot of what's in here, I'm like, oh yeah, I recognize a lot of the situations and scenarios and things. And a lot of it is experimentation that comes through trying to figure out who you are or what you want to do or what you want to try. And some of that is because you are immature. And some of that is because you actually are mature, more mature than you realize. You just have to figure it out for yourself. Um, but let's get into the whole belief system because this is a huge crux of the book. Mm. Um, Jane, so it's a Lutheran college and there is a college that I think is in Iowa called Luther college that runs this every year. Um, on PBS, there are those some, I don't, I don't know if we saw it last year, but for a while there was this concert that they would air around the holidays called live at Luther college, which was this, like, it was very, very much like the concert that they go to right before Christmas at the end of, I think it's book two where it's like alumni come and people sing and there's caroling and thing. You can like watch these concerts on PBS and it's like all the different choirs and the orchestras and band, everything singing, various Christmas songs, both religious and secular. And uh, it's really fun to watch. If you can catch one of the concerts on PBS, I recommend it. It's, it's, it's a nice evening to, to watch. So that's what that reminded me of. Um, but it's, it's one of those colleges where there's a, there is a strong tradition in terms of the belief system, even if the, you know, even if it's not as strict and, you know, um, you know, hell and damnation, if you do the wrong thing as some other very, very strict religious colleges is, um, because Loyola is very much, you know, very proud of its Catholicism. It's not like it shies away from being named. I mean, for God's sake, it's named after the founder of the Jesuits, you know? So it doesn't shy away from that at all. But there's, like I said, there's certain things about student life that take priorities over others. But Jane comes from a very is very religious. She's devout. I don't want to say she's like, she's strictly religious. She's just very devout. You know, she, she is, um, she is the epitome of the stereotypic good girl. And cat is the one who's the self-professed atheist. Who's the stereotypical bad girl. And they end up in the same religion class. And I think one of my favorite panels in, in in book one is the is the shot it's an it's an upshot of the religious professor with the beard and he's like screaming like Moses or something it's just to me it's like one of the funniest shots of the entire thing because I've had that professor before not in re- maybe religious or whatever it's just like some other class but that's that professor is just really into his topic and everybody's sitting around like this is a nine o'clock class why am I up you know um so. Uh, they have several conversations about religion and philosophy. It's like an ongoing argument through the entire book. Uh, and it drives a wedge between them in some places, and it drives or brings them closer together in some places. So I had three questions 
The first one was, what do you make of these conversations that they have throughout the course of the series? Are these conversations realistic and relatable? And then what do Jane and Kat actually believe? Yeah, yeah not, you know, difficult at all. No, there, let's Tom. not bury the lead. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I've thought a lot about this, this particular book. And whenever these conversations were happening, I would pause and I would consider them. Part of me, I really actually want to, like, talk to Tyler Page or, like, email him because I'm wondering where he's coming from. I think it'd be interesting to get his background. In your little biography, I did pay attention. But in your biography, you did you mention anything about his religious beliefs? I don't think there it's in the biography. Okay. So, yeah, I just wonder where he's coming from. Um man alive, these <laughs> they sure did pop up a lot. You know, part of me was wondering why cat constantly is bringing it up when she was never liking the answers, never satisfied. And yet she is always the one who would prompt Jane. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really ever the other way around. Uh, Jane would usually just have to defend herself all the time. And so... (laughs) That one, that one's what is interesting to me because at, at a few points I thought, well, this is just getting obnoxious because why you're never satisfied with the answers. Why do you keep asking? And I think that potentially leads me to believe that Kat is struggling. I think we can see it with her behavior anyways, that she's struggling anyways, not necessarily that she's going to self-destruct. But, you know, going into college, I think I've heard it said that college is really where you decide the person that you're going to be or, you know, as you because you're really hitting I guess the apex kind of of your, you know, there's obviously more growing to do, but I think in college you hit that stride. You figure out potentially you find your partner, you figure out what, um, you know, your belief system potentially or, yeah. you know, professions, things like that. So I think she's, even though she says that she's an atheist, I think that's a safe, it's a safe word for her um, because no one's going to push her on what she believes. But I think she's struggling with it. Otherwise, she would not be consistently asking. So I think it's more of a, I'm going to say that I'm this instead of trying to challenge herself, which um, when she turned in that belief paper... And it was completely blank. That was a complete cop out. Oh, it and was. So, yeah, it was so I think. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you get those types of things all the time. Mm-hmm. So the professor pushing her on that, I I really appreciated. And the moments where she's contemplating these things, you know, having the dream of the trial that that you brought up in your yeah. synopsis, I think that goes to show something that, you know, subconsciously it's there, like she's wrestling with it. I don't think she's completely there, but I, I can't, I can't really see her as an atheist. I, I think there's, I don't know if maybe agnostic or she's yeah. just struggling right now. I agree with you. And I think struggling is a great word because I think one of the things she struggles with is she doesn't necessarily want to be put into a particular box where her beliefs are concerned. Like, she's seeing it too much in black and white. Like, so I don't follow every thing in Christianity or even boil it down to just Lutheranism, you know, because that's where they are. 
so therefore I am not this and therefore I have to be an atheist because that's, you know, it's the either or. And I think she's, the thing she's struggling with the fact is that there's gray, there's some sort of gray area in there where her beliefs stand and she doesn't know it. So you're right. I think she, it's a defense, me- I think you're right. It's like a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. And then, and then she'll try to call people out because it's her way of compensating, you know? So. Yeah, as for Jane, I struggled with her character a little bit as well, and uh, I, I sort of disagree with your your term, a devout. I could see that. I will say uh, I, I did consider her a good girl. Okay, good um, girl is probably more accurate. I was trying to find a we- I was yeah, trying no. to find a word that I'll explain, that, I'll explain you know, why devout yeah. doesn't doesn't strike me well. But yeah, good girl certainly. I cracked up the whole um when well cat did a pretty crappy thing to her and she does this even though it's like for a joke see that's the thing is she doesn't really cause and cause and um well cause and effect basically is is not something that she considers because that you got the tic tac she didn't think forward of that and then just for funsies she's going to give jane these drinks even though jane's never drunk before but I did find I like to see how they animate, not really animate, but draw drunk people because it's mm-hmm. got those little bubbles up top. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so, you know, throughout uh, you sort of uh, see her background and everything and her grandmother's thoughts and everything. Uh, but then she start, you know, then she, well, she dabbles in the sex, right? And I thought, well, what's going on here right now? And but there was an enlightening moment that I really appreciated, which, again, is why I would actually like to have a one-on-one conversation with Tower Page or email. Uh, she, at one point, I feel like Kat was the one that initiated this and used the C word, which is Christian. And Jane said, no, I'm not a Christian. And so I was very appreciative of that delineation there. So I'm going to say some harsh things there. So I apologize to you as to, as well as to the audience. There is a difference between people who believe in God and actually Christians. Because anyone could potentially believe in God. But Christians are following um, a pretty direct pathway. And it's like literally, you know, little Christ. So the idea is that you are... Um, to your utmost capability, you are trying to follow um, Christ's example and you're trying to be Christ-like in all things. And so that's where the breakdown was because I think if Jane – and this is, this is going to sound a little judgmental – but you know, if Jane had considered herself a Christian, I think like sex would never have been on the table. She wouldn't have been even – I guess she was doing a hand job. I don't know what she was doing with that other guy, um, her boyfriend, you know. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that – you know, she still felt guilt. I think she sees that there is a higher power. I think she's just not. That's why I didn't like the idea of, you know, devout, because I think, you know, there is that issue. But I was actually very appreciative that Tyler Page put that down, because absolutely, there's that difference. And I think people uh, confuse that now, you know, nowadays. And it's even more confused, I think, in the sec- secular society that we're in. Well, so I think she... Oh, yeah. No, no. Well, I think it's also because the word Christian has become such a politically charged word over the last yeah. decade and a half or so. And unfortunately, it's. I feel like it's got negative connotations. I, th- I personally think it's gotten hijacked by people like Gene. Yeah, I would agree. You know, who may think who is this sort of 
who's sanct he's the de- definition of sanctimonious sure so and i think that that's where the negative commentation comes in people like him who are very yeah and and we talked about this i guess i'm adding continuity to your show but with jane Eyre, and you know myself as someone who considers herself a christian i also bristle at the fact that when people are treating others like very judgmentally and harshly and almost with hatred like that's not what you know christ was preaching but it's you know it's it's to show love to others um you might be disagreeing with what they're doing but you need to show love to them so that's yeah i i'm there (laughs) with you america i'm so sorry for the people that condemn you on the side of the road so yeah but no it's it's he brings up a lot of interesting issues they've they've really made me think and uh i would i would really honestly this is the third time i've seen it but i would really like to like write an email to him and and just see because i wonder um sort of his experiences or where his belief system is because obviously he's been considering it i i don't think you slap this sort of stuff down on the page without also thinking about it no and i think the age of 18 as portrayed by these characters is the very very good age to portray them having this sort of um yeah spiritual or existential crisis where um because, like I said, I was raised in Lutheran church and got married in one, um, but have since I was probably about like seventeen or eighteen have not been very religious. And there's a number of factors that went into that, um, which I'm not, you know. Um, but I did appreciate your delineation between the idea of a belief in God and the sense of like. Christian, like the the Christian life, so to speak, that you were getting at, mm. where like you know where you could be somebody who has belief and is finds himself or herself within a sect or, or denomination of Christianity, but you know there's there's degrees and levels of things, and and I think that the more and more we can look at that nuance. And I know I'm talking about nuance on the internet, <laughs> but I personally, I just think that if we can talk about that nuance and draw that nuance out more, the conversation surrounding religion will not be as harsh. And that's just, I know I'm on my soapbox here, but it just, it, it like, <laughs> you, you and I, we, we don't sit completely at, we're not like Cat and Jane when it comes to religion, but we are very different. When sure. it comes to religion, but you and I have never yelled at each other over religion. No, because a neither of us are jerks. Um, B will yell at each other about comic books, and C, <laughs> I think the two of us, I think the two of us have an open enough mind to see that there's more to it than just and and like I, the point I was bringing up with Cat, where Cat sees like this or that. I don't think either of us sees that. Like we can see much more beyond that. And um, when I, I remember at eighteen, you know, challenging my own beliefs in that regard. Not that I converted to any other denomination or or found anything or lost anything, but like the idea that there's more out there. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was home, away from home for the first time. So I was for the first time for more than just a few weeks. So I was out of the bubble that I was raised mm. in. I think that has a lot to do with it with Jane, 
you know, I think Jane in a big way was in a bubble and was safe in a bubble. And she might've been uncomfortable in that bubble before going away to college. Um, but finally got out and is a little bit lost because of that. But I did like the fact that I, I did like that you made the delineation with regard to her and, you know, and what he did because she clearly does still have those beliefs, but you're right. She doesn't consider help herself Christian. And I know that in some way you could read that line for shock value because like, you know, cause it come, it doesn't come like, you know, in the first three pages of the book, you know, it comes a little later right. on down the road and you're like, what? And you are led to, in some way in reading this, you could be led to believe that they'll completely switch places by the end of this, but I don't think he's going to do that. Mm. Do you think people who um, maybe are like laymen wouldn't really understand the difference, the distinction between the two? The way you explained it, I think you would. I think though, if you explained it the way you did, I think you could get it. Okay. But then again, I'm a person. I just who, wondered from that panel, do you think people would be like, what? What's the difference? Um, I don't know. I honestly don't. I think, I think some people would, some people wouldn't. I think it depends on what their own biases, what they bring to it. Sure. To be completely honest, because yeah. I've, I've taught students over the years who are self-professed Christians. They may not behave like that, but they're self-professed Christians. And don't understand what the Catholic Church is. Oh yeah. Like, like um, when I was, I remember reading one story and explaining something regarding um, a priest, and and I think it was purgatory, some some concept that really only exists in the Catholic Church, like purgatory or sacrament, certain sure. or whatever. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, well, he's Catholic. Oh, is that Christian? I actually got that question. Oh, is that Christian? And I was like, yeah, like, like what you call Christianity now doesn't exist unless Martin Luther gets all ticked off at the Catholics. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, uh, know sure. your history, kids, like, you know, and, and things like that. So, like, you know, it's 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 under the umbrella of Christianity. It is, you know, but there are people who who firmly believe it, like other other sects of Christianity are not Christian. Mm. So you get into that, and I think that if you're coming in, it depends on what view you're coming in with. Because again, we could you could like we could go to a much wider uh, discussion of all of the different denominations of what they believe sure. and 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 who you know and and how how pure they think they are over that, and then mm. you know, yeah, that just happened to me last week where someone was um, sort of insulting my particular de- denomination, and I work at a Christian school. You too. That's right. I know. That was a little annoying. I know. Um, yeah, and uh, and Jane is because um, I remember just I remember reading a lot of different philosophy and reading a lot of just a, a lot more branching out beyond what I had read and. Not that, like, I was brainwashed into, like, being a communist or something, but, <gasps> which I wasn't. But, but you know, the point being is that <laughs> the, one of the things, and I think Kat's professor really says it best, where he's basically like, 
when you're in college, it's the best time to do this because you are essentially within a safe space. Sure. And you can experiment and you can stretch yourself and you can question your beliefs and explore things in this. You're in another bubble, essentially. But it's a, it's good to do that within here. And he was, that's the point he was trying to get across to her. Aside from write me an actual paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that came off to me as very, very real because, um, you know, the times that I did consider whatever belief system I have, um, you know, I, uh, I mean, even politically, I was pretty aware by the time I graduated high school that I was not going to be a Republican, and my parents are. Ruh-roh. But college, and then living in a city, and being around different types of people and things, and just and seeing the way the Republican Party went, just not just a just a tangent just real quickly how things went like i've been i've been a democratic voter for since 1996 and there were a lot of different factors that was in that, when i was born being in 1996 oh you're not that young <laughs> At 86. no 1996 i was nine years old in 1986 Carter, my my was in office. my belief in 1986 was in the new york mets um <laughs> So like, but, but like my political leanings, you know, were, were challenged now, not necessarily changed over the course of college, but my religious beliefs were too. So I think uh, that's what I really, really appreciated about this. I found something profound in the assignment that Kat eventually turns in for the art project though. I really liked her. Was it like meiosis or whatever or cellular division? Yeah. I, really, I remember she heard sort of the, yeah. Yeah, I really liked that. And that has stuck with me since reading it because I like how she found a beauty in, well, in life, mm-hmm. but in science. Yeah, and she's been struggling all along with, you know, having this double major potentially because she wants to do biology and art. And so she's able to find that happy median here. Two majors that couldn't be more different, right? I know. <laughs> so it would seem. So, um, do you, I mean, so you, you talked to, I, I don't know if, if I, if I, in my ramble here, if you did answer the second question there about, do you find the conversations they're having relatable? Um, do you think he's pushing it too much with the or do you think he's forcing his point too much or or forcing them too much because i find them realistic and relatable like what is your what is your feeling yeah i was just getting annoyed uh a little bit i i thought that they were recurring too much Mm -hmm. and my frustration was you know why (laughs) why is cat constantly asking these questions when she's not accepting of the answers um but i think through that we're getting a sense of who Kat is and what her belief systems are. So I feel like I answered it. Okay. Are they relatable? Um, yeah, I mean, I ask question, deep, profound questions all the time of my uh, my mentor that I have. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, uh, yeah, overall, like, like I said, it, I think it approaches issues of, of religion and philosophy and belief in a way that, 
like I said, I, I, I think it will make you feel uncomfortable at times, but at the same time, and it will, it does get annoying when she constantly asks it, but at the same time, that fits very well with her character. And I feel that there is something natural about the way he, he does it, like this would keep coming up. Um, so there's hopefully, and I'm going to say hopefully, but I'm going to say, yeah, there's going to be more. Mm-hmm. Of nothing better. This is this is not where this ends. Oh, so I had a few. I guess we'll just do a little bit of lightning round questions and stuff um, about predictions for what happens next. So the first one, toward the end, it's becoming very possible that Cat and Jane will not room together the following year because at a school like that. Now, did you live in the dorms for four years at UVA? Or did you- no, first year lived in the dorms. Which one? Uh, second. Page. Okay. Old dorms. Uh, second through fourth lived uh, in an apartment complex with three other people. And then my fifth year, I lived on a house in a house. I lived in dorms for four years at well, Loyola. Well, I guess you liked it. You should have been an RA. You'd have been a good one. I was never around on the weekends. Oh, <laughs> um, I guess. I, and, and when I was, I was in the newspaper office. So, Because oh. I was the editor-in-chief of my campus newspaper um, for three semesters. So... So at the end, if you're in the dorm process, you either decide to live with your roommate again, and you guys find a place to live or you keep the place where you're living. And can I just say that this process happens pretty soon, like October, you need to start thinking about it. You need to start thinking about final selections like in the spring semester sometime. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Maybe like, Loyola is different than yeah, UVA. Yeah, I don't know how it looks. Loyola was always like in February, March. Oh, yeah. Ours um, was, yeah, so so we we would um you had to at some point early in the process you had to lay claim to your room if you still wanted it either way otherwise you ended up in a housing lottery and then if you didn't want your roommate there was a roommate lottery or whatever. So Kat and Jane don't have to room together. Do you think they do next year? Yeah, this is interesting because Kat, it's not even on her radar. She doesn't want to room with Jane, but Jane, while she's considering room with Molly, is also considering about Kat, like she wants to talk to her, so I thought that was interesting. I don't think that they're going to room together next year, but I think that there's going to be some profound changes in the relationship, and by the end, they might room together. I agree with that. I think that I think that their friendship changes, but it becomes, but they they... I think they realize that they they are way more um, than just roommates who you know, and they are actually genuinely friends as a result of you know, sticking together but not rooming together. Does Darby ever actually finally confront Jane? Does this go anywhere? Like where does this go now that he's heartbroken over the broken? I think this is the last straw for Darby, and I think that he's going to start ignoring Jane, and maybe he'll find somebody else. Jane will probably wonder what's happening. Maybe some understanding is uh, is made, but yeah, I think Darby's going to move away from Jane. Okay. I wonder if Darby gets a girlfriend and Jane sees them together and she feels just a slight pang of like, hey, I thought he liked me. Mm, yeah. You know, that, that, that happens. Does Kat actually have a stable relationship at some point? <laughs> I think Kat needs to be, uh, at some point, maybe at the end, but I think she needs to be alone and figure her own stuff out. I think she does, too. I think that, I think she's going to go through a few more guys. 
Um, maybe not completely self-destructive in the way that Josie's going through alcohol, but I think that she is definitely going to be that in, in a weird way. That's going to be kind of her thing that she she finally will finally will allow herself to be alone, but it's going to take a little longer than just having been rejected by Cal. Does Gene rat out Felix and the fact that he was going to move in with his boyfriend? I'm a little confused about this because if that's not allowed, why are they not like prosecuting? You know, they need a <laughs> he's really here's the thing like down on okay. the alcohol and the pot and stuff. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, well, the relationship. I think they would allow the kids. They would allow them to have the relationship. I think there's an openness. Like Loyola had a gay straight alliance. You know, like, so religious affiliated colleges can be open to LGBTQ people. It's the fact that the two of them were going to live together and be in a relationship. Okay. So that, I guess it, that, that's where, like an, that's yeah. where the comp, in the same way that if a man and a woman, woman wanted to live together. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. And so and, probably, I mean, he ran off. I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah. I just don't like him. Um, okay. Uh, and I think, I think that's it. Does Jane, uh, just, I guess I'm going to add one more question and then we'll, then we'll wrap up. Does Jane, uh, does Jane stay with Ryan? Does she, you know, what, what happened? What do you think happens to Jane both, you know, just in terms of, and what's, yeah, I hope that I hope things are revealed with Ryan and I think maybe it's time for Jane to move on. Um, it doesn't seem in the beginning, it seemed like a pretty healthy relationship, but now it seems like maybe she should not be in this relationship and there might be someone that is better suited for her. So, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you came on. Cause like I said, um, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, there was, there's a lot, there was a lot to talk about and. I just, I, I really did think of what other religious friends do you have? <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the reasons, but it was also the sort of coming of age sure, yeah. stuff and, and stuff like that. And I know the two of us um, being fans of things like Freaks and Geeks and uh-huh. and uh, and other other things of that genre. Like, I, I think this suited both of us. Um, before they before we we close out, uh, please tell everybody where they can find you. Absolutely. Well, I'll start at the top with required reading. Because Tom and I do that, and it's hosted on this very site, the Two True Freaks Radio Network. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm sure you know all about it, but basically it's like a glorified book club. Mm -hmm. And we, I guess I won't date it because I don't know when this episode is coming out. My own podcast is Backroll the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast, and I've been tracing Barbara Gordon from her inception in 1967 up to the present day, and I'm currently at 1999, I believe. So now Barbara Gordon is Oracle. So the first half, I always talk about some vintage stuff, and then the uh second half of the episode I talk about recent comics that have come out and finally I am also on the Batman Universe bi-weekly comic podcast where we talk mainly about Batman and detective comics as well as any news that comes out okay and um, I will be back in probably a few weeks to cover if 
plans go the right way, I should be covering something left over from the summer, which was my trip to Universal Studios, followed by uh, what will become an annual tradition for uh, Pop Culture Affidavit, which will be the Festivus episode in December, uh, with a special with a special guest. Last year I had Michael Bailey, but I have a special guest lined up for this one. Is it Shag? It is not Shag. Um, because I don't think Shag's ready for the anti-Finding Your Joy episode. So, um, and then, and then we'll be heading into 2018. So until then, yeah, please check out the blog for some more entries. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at pop at pop P O P A F F. And of course you can email me at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening and take care. I don't recommend following him because he attacks me on the Twitter. So follow me, but don't follow Tom. You know, <laughs> it's true though. It's true. But we both attack Shag, so that's fine. <laughs> Good night. Oh, <laughs> Good night. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit. All clips and media are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review at illustrative purposes only, so no infringement is intended. Feedback can be sent via email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. For more content, including show notes, media, and essays, be sure to check out the blog, which can be found at popcultureaffidavit.com. This podcast is a proud part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can support all the Two True Freaks podcasts by using the Amazon.com link at twotruefreaks.com whenever you shop. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Affidavit, and come back next time for more pop culture randomness.